And that's a good look. The inward look is a good look, and I'm, I'm glad we have it. But as good as it is, and as much as we need to cultivate that on a regular basis, it's not the only look we should be experiencing. There's an outward look, a different kind of look, that we also need to be reminded of over and over that that's important too. And God's Word seems to go out of its way to to tell us that because God knows us and He knows we tend to worry more about our own issues and our own selves than we do people around us. Especially the further they get from us physically, geographically, the less they seem to get on our radar screen. But God's not like that. No one is far from him geographically, are they? He's there with everybody all around the world, and he has his heart for them. And, and, and throughout history, his people, us today, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, have tended to look inward, to forget the rest of the world out there. And so all through the Bible, including the passage we'll look at today, we come across these reminders. And sometimes God actually rattles the cages of his people in some pretty dramatic ways to remind us, to remind us of of what I call the big idea of today's message is this. When it comes to God's plan, it's about us, but it's about much more than us. If you leave today, I hope you'll leave with that thought engraven. Engraven? Is that a word? Graved? Written. All right, let's go with that. Written in your hearts that it's about us, but it's about much more than us. The passage we'll look at today that reminds us of this fact is Psalm 67. It's one of those psalms that has no identified author, so I can't say King David or Asaph or any of those. I'll refer to the psalmist as we talk about this psalm. As a psalm, it's part of the hymnal of Israel, a regular part of their, of their spiritual lives. And this psalm and a couple others like it came up regularly, no doubt, in the life of the people of Israel. And it got their attention, I hope, in ways that will surprise you, as I hope it gets our attention today. So we're going to look at Psalm 67. Let's pray and ask God to open our hearts through this passage. Lord, this is your word. We are your people. We ask that your Holy Spirit would change our hearts. We ask that you would speak because we are listening. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to look at Psalm 67. I'm going to try to help us listen to it from the perspective of a member of the people of Israel, a citizen of Israel. Uh, to do that, we'll have to understand a couple of things. But let's start with verse 1. It begins this way. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Now, some translations include the word selah at that point. Some don't. It depends on what you have in your, tool, in your tablet or in your, in your Bible. But it is there. And the Selah makes us stop for just a minute. And I want us to stop here for a reason. I want to point out that for the average Israelite, hearing the words that you see in this passage, more than we might know today, for them, 3,000 years ago, those words mattered a lot. They brought to their mind something called the priestly blessing. It was a blessing that God gave to Aaron, the very first high priest of Israel, and told Aaron to use these words every time he had the opportunity to pronounce a blessing over the people. And over the generations, it became something they heard on a regular basis. It was used in in the temple worship. It was used in their morning prayers. It would be something that almost slipped into autopilot about. It it comes to light in Psalm, uh, sorry, Numbers chapter 6. Turn back there if you would. Numbers chapter 6 is where this blessing is given. And this is God's words. I think it's so cool that Aaron didn't have to, to guess what it was that God wanted him to say over the people. God gave him the exact phrases to use. God's instructions are pretty clear. And number six includes those instructions. Here's what it says, starting in verse 20, 
2. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. It's clicking, but it's not clicking. Why don't you guys advance that for me? I'll have you advance the rest of the slides. Go to the next one. Here we go. This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Aren't those words beautiful? These are words and images that God, it was so important to God that his people get it, that he he gave these words to Aaron and said, these are the words to use and say them constantly, say them regularly. Remind my people that my face is eager to shine on them. Remind them that I'm eager to be gracious to them. Those words are beautiful, and, and I want to pause and just reflect on, on how powerful they are. And let me ask us a very pertinent question. Can you picture God's face shining on you? How do you picture God's face when you think about him looking at you? That, that's a pretty personal question, but it's one that drives a lot of our Christian lives. If when you picture God looking at you, he's frowning, and he's frustrated, he's even a little bit angry because you're letting him down, because you're not who you should be. You're not working hard enough. You're not doing enough. If that's your picture of God, so when you imagine his face, he's doing anything but smiling, then that makes a big impact on your spiritual life. And if, on the other hand, you can picture God smiling at you when he sees you, if you can picture God beaming at you as a proud father, as a loving father, that changes your Christian life as well. As a, as a young woman I know who I've known for many years since she was a teenager, she's now married and, and had her first child about a year ago. And, and as most new moms do, she's posting pictures all the time of her beautiful, bouncy baby boy. And, and the kid is cute, okay? Not cuter than my grandson, but still, he's, he's okay. On a scale of one to... No, I won't, I won't do that. But what strikes me in her photographs isn't the boy. The boy's a boy. He's a, he's a toddler. It's her face that always grabs my attention. She is so happy. She's so beaming with joy over the, being a mom. I don't know anybody whose joy at motherhood is so obvious in the way she talks about it. And I'm sure she's got days, and I'm sure the kid drives her nuts sometimes. But boy, you see it in, in her eyes. Her face is shining on her son. And I love seeing that in, in, in new parents. We've got some on the staff who are brand new parents and others who are maybe thinking about it. And I love that. Thank you, moms and dads, for beaming with joy as you look at your children. And if we, as imperfect parents, can give that sense as we look at our kids, imagine how much the perfect father would have his face shine on his children. If you can't picture that, there's something missing. Very important. Because chances are your service of that frowning God is driven by fear and guilt. And oh no, he's going to zap me if I mess up. There's no joy in that. If your picture of God has him already, because of his love for you, shining on you, uh, you can still disappoint him, you can still hurt him. Scripture says that. But he's also so in love with you that his face is shining. Now your service is joy-filled. You're serving him because he loves you, not in the hope that he will love you. And boy, does that ever make a difference. So can I urge you to think through that, that this passage maybe grabs your, your, this blessing of Israel might grab your, your attention and think on it. Because it was a regular part of the worship of the people of Israel. Now, what's interesting is, uh, 
these words, so much a part of the life of the people of Israel, were familiar. And to their surprise, all of a sudden they stop. They stop at that word Selah. And they stop halfway through the blessing. There's only part of that blessing that's reflected in Psalm 67. It, it, it stops in the middle at Selah. And the word Selah, by the way, is no one's really sure what exactly it means. It can generally seem to be a, a time to pause and to reflect on what you've just heard. Don't just read through this robotically, it says. Stop and think and absorb. And if that's the case, and in the middle of the priestly blessing, everything stops. And you'll see why in a minute. But to give you a sense of what that was like for an Israelite, let's pretend you and I are here and we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And I decide I'm going to lead it. And I begin. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Why did I stop? Wouldn't that get your attention? It did, didn't it? You sit up straight. You Wait, wait, wait. Because you slip into autopilot like the Israelites must have hearing these few words. Now everything stops and it seems to build anticipation. People are leaning forward. Why did he stop? What comes next? Well, what comes next is pretty radical. What comes next is almost shocking. What comes next is the unexpected twist of Psalm 67, 2 through 5. Instead of going on and reflecting the second half of the priestly blessing, he changes directions altogether. So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. Now, that's not expected. That's not the priestly blessing, but that's what the Holy Spirit wanted the psalmist to say in Psalm 67. So why did he want this person to write these words? Well, first of all, let's notice a couple of big differences here. The first is, did you notice the the change in, in, okay, I'm going to use grammar, the change in the person of the verb? These little things matter, friends. The first verse talks about him. He is talking about God. The second verse talks to God. Your way is known on the earth. Your salvation. He's gone from talking about God to praying to God. When we see that change, we've got to learn to take that to heart. It matters, friends, because it makes things more intimate. It makes things more powerful, and it shows the importance of prayer. It happens several times in the Bible. The most probably famous one is Psalm 23, well-known psalm. Everybody loves it. And the first three verses, rightly so, King David, who did write that psalm, is bragging about how good his shepherd is in the third person. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He restores my soul. That's great to praise God like that. But verse 4, it changes. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He's gone from talking about God to talking to God. And we need to take that to heart. We need to make sure our prayer life is carved into the rest of our lives. That there are times when we don't just talk about God, we talk to Him. Because what's a relationship without that? This changes this psalm and making it more intimate, in some ways more powerful. When I talk about my daughters and my goals and dreams for their lives, that's one thing. When I talk to my daughters about my goals and dreams for their lives, well, that's a whole different kettle of fish. Do people still talk like that? I do. Oh, well. It changes everything. It's more powerful. It's more intimate. And we need to take to heart 
This idea, woo, sorry. <laughs> we need to take to heart the importance of prayer as it's reflected in this passage. But that's not the most significant change. That's a kind of a subtle one. It's important, but the most significant one is he changes from talking about Israel to talking about the world. He turns from the inward look to the outward look, to use our words today. It's as if the psalmist realizes, okay, if I go on and finish the priestly blessing, that's good, it's true, but that'll be all about us. And the Holy Spirit must have said, I don't want this to be all about you. I want this psalm to be about the world. I want it to be about the nations. I want it to be about them needing to know me too, God says. So, psalmist, change direction, change the focus changed the look, and all of these few verses are the outward look we were talking about earlier. He's saying, Israel, it is about you, but it's not just about you. I bless you so you can bless others, so you can be a blessing to the nations of the earth. God says, I don't just bless Israel for their sake, but for the sake of the nations. That's why God chose Israel in the first place. You will be my beachhead, God says. I'm invading the planet. I'm winning it back. And you're going to be the start. I'll pour knowledge of me into you, Abraham, and your family, and the nation that will be born from you, so that you can then pass that on to people around. It goes to you, and then it goes through you. That's been God's plan all along from the start. Now, there's a call for universal praise of God, actually, in here, and and it repeats itself. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. And again, may the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. Pay attention when God repeats himself. Right? He doesn't have to. How many times does he have to say something to make it worthwhile? One is plenty. It's God's book. He doesn't waste any words. But when he repeats himself, it's their way of underlining bold font, make it bigger type. They couldn't do that in writing in the day. So repetition drove home the importance of something. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He's repeating it for a purpose. He's repeating it here for a purpose. He's saying it's important that the nations know who I am. Now, to us, that might sound kind of okay. If you've been around church a while, you're familiar with these ideas. Maybe it's new to you. Great, glad you're here. But to us today, okay, but in that day, put yourself in their shoes. In that day, there was a general consensus that every nation had its own gods. And when you transferred from place to place, you were kind of expected to kind of leave your gods behind where you came from and pay attention to our gods, because our gods matter. Our gods are good. Our gods watch over us or get mad at us if we don't do what they want. So you're among us now. Be like us. Embrace and adopt our gods. And God is saying to the people of Israel, I am the true God. Don't blend in. Don't absorb. Don't don't adjust your beliefs to the beliefs of those around you. That's not why I called you to be mine. He says, you are to make me known to the nations of the earth so that them, those peoples, could praise me like you do. Now that was radical. And and Israel must have said, are you telling us you want us to be narrow-minded, God? His answer is what? Yes, be narrow-minded. I am the true God. Take the news of me to the nations around you. Yes, it's shocking. The idea of monotheism, one true God over all the world, was radical in its day. And guess what? It's radical today too, isn't it? 
Are we called to be narrow-minded on this? Yes, we are. Not nasty about it, not obnoxious about it, but recognizing we serve through Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the universe? Yes. And to make him known around the world? Definitely yes. So this call on Israel is the same as the call on us. Israel is is expected to say, it's so good to know the true God, and it's too good to keep him to ourselves. So let's make sure as Psalm 67 comes true, Israel was saying so long ago. And the foundation of that praise is how good God is, because this middle verse, may the nations be glad and sing for joy. What brings joy? How good God is. And Israel was told to make him known so the world, the nations, could sing for joy. There's not a lot of singing for joy happening today around the nations, is there? I don't see it on my newscast. Do you see a lot on your newscast? Oh, no, no. It's, it's, it's the other end of the spectrum. But this is the goal. This is the plan. And guess what? It's going to happen. The only question is when and are we going to be involved? Psalm 67 calls us to be involved. Now, there's a natural question. What do we have to do to make this happen? How do we get there? Well, I'm going to answer that question right now. So it's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. This idea is consistent with the overall thrust of the entire Bible. So just for a few minutes, I want to take you to a 35,000-foot altitude. We're going to look all through the Bible just for a couple of minutes to see, is this what God's been saying from the start? It definitely is. In the Old Testament, we get the picture of his overall goal. We see the, the big picture. In fact, when he called Abraham, the father of Israel, and said, Abraham, you're going to be different. Your family is going to be different. You're going to know me. And I'm going to pour myself into you and your kids and the nation that will be born from you. God said from the beginning, when he first talked to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I will bless you. Guess what? So you will be a blessing to you and through you. And then it says, and you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. From day one, Israel was told to be a missionary nation. Israel was told to take what they knew of God and make it known around the world from the very beginning. And all through the Old Testament, we won't have time to look at a lot of passages, but I want to look at one. There's more reminders like we have in Psalm 67. Because Israel reflected what is true of all of us. We like the inward look. We worry about us and ours and our tribe and our issues and our needs. That's okay, unless it makes us forget everybody else. So all through the Bible, we have these reminders, sometimes where we don't expect them. My favorite surprise reminder is Psalm 46, verse 10. It's one of the beautiful verses of the Bible. When I start to say it, you might be able to finish it with me. We make songs out of this verse. We make wall plaques out of this verse. I'll start it. You finish it. Be still and know that I am God. We usually stop there. But you know what the rest of the verse says? It's not even a period. I think it's a comma or a semicolon. You know what the next phrase says? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. It's a missionary psalm. It's a missionary verse. God's calling us to look outward, not just inward. I'm glad God is my God. I want to be still. Why? So that everybody else can do it too. That's the plan. That's the goal. Now, in the New Testament, things change pretty drastically as we continue our 35,000-foot overview. In the New Testament, this project of God with the nations gets ramped up. 
in ways that are pretty radical. You see, with the exception of Jonah in the Old Testament, who was sent somewhere else, for the most part, the rest of Israel's interaction with the nations was God saying, I'll bring them to you. When they come, be ready for them. Be ready to welcome them. Be ready to include them in your celebrations of me. Tell them who I am. Allow them to, to function as a, as a member of your nation. It, some of them actually became Israelites, became Jewish. God said, I will send them to you. And that was good. But then along comes a day when a baby's born in Bethlehem, when God ramps up his invasion of the world to a whole new level, when God comes down and lives among us and dies for us and rises again to show he's worth serving forever. And then that Jesus changes the dynamic more than a little bit, a lot of bit. He says something drastic. He says, go to all nations and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1, he says, be my witnesses where? To the remotest parts of the earth. Now to understand how radical that was, you have to realize he gave that mission to people who'd never been in their lives further than 90 miles from the place of their birth. I know that because I asked Siri this morning in the green room. <laughs> What's the distance from Nazareth to Jerusalem? Okay, that's pretty close. That was their life. That was their world. And then Jesus comes along and says, hey, by the way, my mandate for you is the whole world. Now, if I were them, I'd have said, wait, what? Did you hear him say that? I didn't. What, what, what's he want us to do? Us? We don't know anything about the world. We don't, we don't know how to get there. We're going to die along the way. Really? He wants us to think about the whole world? Jesus says, yes, I do. And it shouldn't surprise you. Why? Because Psalm 67 was in their Bible. Psalm 4610 was in their Bible. And he made it clear, it's about you, but it's not just about you. So disciples, church, go to the whole world. Take it to the ends of the earth. That's the mission he gave. Now before we see how we're doing on that mission, I want to just look quickly at the closing verses of this psalm. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still. Why? Here it is again. So the ends of the earth will fear him. Don't be thrown by the word fear. It's a good thing. It's acknowledgement of his holiness and his majesty. But God blesses us. Why? For other people. It's about us. It's not just about us. Did you notice another really small word? Can I do more English grammar? Pronouns matter. It doesn't say God blesses us. What's it say? God, our God. Boy, is that little three-letter word significant. Can you say God is your God? If he's just the God, if he's a God, it's even worse. But if he's the God, the God of history, the God of Jesus, the God of Abraham, okay, that's progress. But when you can say he's our God or more personal, he's my God, oh, when you can say that, it changes everything. When by bowing the knee to Jesus and repenting of our sin and putting our trust in him, you come to realize that not only is God your God, but you are his child, all of a sudden, through that relationship, everything changes. His heart becomes your heart. You want to see the world through his eyes. His mission becomes our mission. And that's why the psalmist pauses and clarifies. Our God blesses us. And then he reflects his adoption of the mission that that God has expressed from the beginning of the Bible that will continue until Jesus comes back.
Friends, how, how's that mission doing? Since Psalm 67 was written probably 3,000 years ago, how are we doing? Not we. How's the mission of God doing? Well, for about 1,000 years, frankly, it didn't change a whole lot. And Israel had their ups and downs and their willingness to embrace outsiders, welcome the foreigner to come in and, and, and know them and be loved by them and be introduced to their God. And they went up and down on the importance of that. But all of a sudden, as I said, Jesus comes and, and this news is, is, is begins to spread. And so it starts to explode around the world. And in the last 300 years, it has exploded exponentially around the world. Early this week, my wife and I were in Indianapolis where we were gathering with missionaries from all over the world who had stories that result in this quick summary. Can I just put it this way, friends? Our God is on the move. Our God is doing things to draw people to himself around the world. And we get to be part of it. Maybe that's the most amazing part of the whole missions idea to me. Is God, here's my definition of missions. You ready? I didn't say this to the first two services. This is only for you. Mike's definition of missions. God is using the preaching of the gospel around the world to turn rebellious sinners into redeemed worshipers of his son, Jesus Christ. And we get to help. That's the, ooh, goosebumps. That's the fun part. We get to help. We get to be part of it. And I got to sit with people from all around the world who are part of it, who are helping. And that's exciting. Now, in light of that, we're going to ask two questions in the next five minutes as we close. Maybe seven. I'm not going to make any promises. What is our part in the fulfillment of Psalm 67? It's not enough just to leave here today saying, oh, <laughs> cool, God's got a plan. It includes the whole world. It's about us, but not just about us. Okay, great. Now, what's our part? By our, I'm talking about Heist Church, the corporate us of this congregation. Well, friends, we take our part very, very seriously. The three-step vision we are building into right now that you've heard about the last few months includes an outward look. That parking lot is an outward look in concrete and asphalt. As we're saying, Lord, fill it with people who don't know you yet. Fill that parking lot. Fill, bring cars of people who hear about you and want to know you. In a couple of weeks, that back wall is going to be knocked out and the result will be more seats in here for some of those people. We're reaching out to other parts of northern Arizona because there's people there, we're convinced, who need Jesus. And we want them to encounter him, to engage in their faith in him, and to be empowered to serve him. We're going to take that all around northern Arizona. And at each step, we're also going to look beyond our own town, beyond our own region. We're going to look, especially in that last step as we begin another site elsewhere, we're going to ask God to guide us to a place around the world that also needs a place to worship Jesus. We're working with our partners even now to try to find where that place might be. So, so we're, we're actively involved in that. The three-step vision includes this. The four weeks of services right now also include this vision. Two weeks ago, we commissioned in this service, commissioned Caleb and Kelsey, and sent them off to Germany where they're living for Jesus. I texted them. They're doing well. They're settling. And they're part of us around the world. Last week, we commissioned our Czech team to go off and, and love students in the Czech Republic. They're there right now as we speak, serving Jesus cross-culturally. Today, we've got this sermon on Psalm 67. Next week, the Greer family will be with us from Japan, where they're loving Jesus and bringing people to him in Osaka, one of the larger cities of Japan. I visited them just a few months ago. We are intentionally keeping our focus 
on the mission God has given us in Psalm 67. In fact, let me show you how concrete that vision is. I found a map. I like maps. This is the best one yet. It's the whole world. I mean, how could you do better than a world map? Let me show you where just this year, you, us, we, Heights Church have sent short-term teams. These five locations, some of them receiving multiple teams. As I mentioned, the people in the Czech Republic are there right now. The Jordan team will be leaving in just a couple of weeks. And we celebrate what these folks are doing, but they're going out and coming back. We also support and send out people who go out and stay. The yellow stars represent people who are there long-term, people who get a one-way ticket, people who say, this is my new home. I'm going to learn this language and love these people. And we've got folks in Jordan that we're supporting. We've got folks in Europe we're supporting. We've got a lady in Brazil. We've got folks, some we can't talk about because they're in pretty dicey parts of the world. We won't attach names to some of these stars, especially not when it's going to go on the internet. So, so we are, by God's grace, seriously reaching out. And Colby and the Hands and Feet leadership team are managing all of this, figuring out where God wants us to be. We can't say yes to everything. They have a grid, and we look and say, God, is this, this good thing? Is this something we should do? So we're glad as a group to be doing this. And it's, it's our part in supporting what's going on. But we're not the only ones. I, I met people this week, as I said, who are bringing Muslims to Christ all over the Middle East. People who are bringing Japanese immigrants to Christ in Boston and Los Angeles. I have a good friend this week who was training pastors, ready for this, in Vietnam. In Vietnam, the capital of what used to be North Vietnam. He's teaching pastors how to teach the Bible. Our God is on the move, friends. And we get to be part of it. This is our part. But there's a more personal question that probably won't surprise you. Not so much what is our part, but what is your part in the fulfillment of Psalm 67? What's God calling you to do? My answer for you is, I have no idea. But wouldn't it be fun to spend a lifetime discovering it? My wife and I began asking ourselves this question 40 years ago. And at, the answer for us was direct involvement. So we've lived on three continents, and we've, we've lived cross-culturally, and, and we've, we've seen God move in some powerful ways. And I don't expect everybody here to do that. It would be a disaster if everybody did. But we at Heights are getting very intentional about identifying, training, sending, and caring for a whole new generation of missionaries. You'll hear about that in coming months. So if you are being tugged by God's Spirit to say, yeah, you should be a yellow star. You let us know, because we're eager to pour into you and get you ready to go do that well. So yes, some will be direct involvement, but there's lots of other ways. And God will guide you to those ways. It'll be exciting to discover them. Since my wife and I came back from the mission field uh, 16 years ago now, we found some other ways. Uh, I was in, in Indianapolis because we'd been invited to be part of a team giving pastoral care to those missionary folks. We are redesigning our home. Well, we bought a house in November here in town for the express purpose of upsizing so we could have room to host missionary families. Tomorrow morning, the kitchenette should be finished. The fridge will be delivered in time for a family of six from Estonia to join us next Friday for nine days of rest. And we get to love them and hopefully encourage them and send them off better than they were when they came to us. Those kinds of ways, and many, many others, are the ways God will guide you if you pray this question, pray this question sincerely. God, what is my part 
in seeing the fulfillment of Psalm 67. The reason it matters is we are moving toward a heaven that is more amazing than we can ever imagine. Moving toward a heaven that includes more people than we could ever imagine. I want to close with a picture that's up on the wall in my office, framed by a former assistant, that was painted actually by a missionary named Hyatt Moore, who took the beautiful Leonardo da Vinci painting of the Last Supper and replaced the disciples with tribal members from all over the world. These people are represented, they're actual representations of various parts of the world. This is a Crow Indian from Montana. There's people here from Ethiopia and China and Brazil and Mongolia. This is what heaven will look like. Because people from every tribe and language and people and nation will be there. Friends, can I, can I add this bit of a tangent? If this is what heaven will look like, then can we say with great confidence that in the church of Jesus Christ, there is no room for racism whatsoever. There is no room to say any of these folks are different or inferior or don't matter as much as us because of where they live or where they were born or the color of their skin. We in the church should be the first to confront that mindset. We should be the first to say, not dragged to it unwillingly, we should be the first to say, our God loves everybody. And because I love him, I love everybody. And wherever there's something in me that doesn't reflect that love, Lord, tear it out by the roots. It has no place in the heart of a person who knows heaven will look like this. So friends, your mission, should you decide to accept it, or even if you don't, <laughs> it doesn't make any difference, frankly. Your mission is to see Psalm 67 come true around you, here in our town, around Arizona, and around the world, and to spend your life praying, Lord, what's our part and what's my part? Because being part of that mission of God, can I tell you, there's nothing like it. Lord, thank you that your word is so clear, that your heart is so big, that your heaven is so diverse and so populated with people we may never meet, but you are saving them right now as we pray. Lord, would you make us people who take your mission to heart? Would you make us a church eager to see what our part is and families and individuals ready to do the same so that we can see your goals come true around this world that you love, a world you send us into? We thank you for this mission. In Christ's name, amen.